Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. path and I'm just scouting it out because at some point I'm going to rollerblade it. I'm waiting for some wrist guards that I ordered in the mail. The thing is it's so quiet here with that when something's loud. It's really loud. And I'm not really in town that much, but when I am, it feels difficult to navigate because I'm not used to navigating it, which could be a hint for when I go back home. big things are cool when they flicker in the wind. Can't really tell. This path I think is something like 40 miles. Which is a long way to go when one is out of shape. So it might be a way that I can start getting into shape. Because in all the experiments I've talked about recently that I may or may not do, getting into shape would be very beneficial. Because I think if I can transform into the superhuman version of myself, like I am in mania, but without having to be manic, but just by doing things to move towards that, like I've talked about with myself. That would be really cool. And it's interesting that I went into that superhuman mania form when I was 100% raw vegan and my body was very, very healthy. And I don't think that's the only way, but it might play a role, it might be a factor. And I actually feel like eating junky foods like I am right now helps keep me heavy and lower and in this reality. Look at the color of those hedges. Well, I'm going to see where I am on the map right now because I'm not intending to go all this way, but scope it out. That looks like kind of a bump over there, so there's some bumps. It's probably more suitable for biking than rollerblading. Actually, it would be cool to buy a small camper van and then drive to different places and just 
rollerblade and stand-up paddleboard. I've only done that once, but it was quite enjoyable. Because I'd rather have this different and interesting to me lifestyle than work the way society would say to because it's possible that by doing that, which a lot of people do, they'll become mountain climbers or ice climbers or something to show that one can get stronger through these types of challenges. So I might end up doing the same thing on purpose, but not just to show strength through challenges, but just because it's more fun. I think the main thing that seems to be blocking is the financial thing, because one needs money to buy these things in order to live that way. But the cost of the alternative, the cost of going back to living the way that I was, working in mental health, and I still want to work in mental health indirectly by talking with myself and, and maybe starting conversations with others and, and setting up this emotional CPR thing. I guess there's different layers and levels of things. And then also co-creating with my friend, which is still there, but it's just not really happening yet. So a bunch of these things I'll amp up once I know a little bit more information about eCPR. So it's really a matter of just patiently waiting and unfolding. One thing's for sure, I have a lot to say. It would actually be really good to integrate movement into this dialogue because I'm just not moving enough. I guess what I'm trying to figure out in a way is if it can all become integrated. Like one day, this is the coolest house I've ever seen. It's like down low and then there's this big tree and the branch goes along and up and it's dark and there's a stream. Oh, it's beautiful. Like one day I can imagine integrating some kind of live stream if I'm still on this
talking to myself all the time. It seems like if I was free all the time and had all my time to myself, then I could just pop on the live stream and talk that way, which people are starting to do. And a lot of this depends on technology, like the data that one can have access to when one is out and about, and the speed. So, it's interesting. It's almost like maybe there's a race in a way to see who people will pay attention to remotely. Because right now it's TV or Netflix or Facebook, but one day people will be able to connect all the time, real time, all over the earth instead of, well, I'll go to this workshop because it's local and it's happening next door. And I guess that's the virtual reality thing too, but I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself with that stuff. And it makes it seem like I have some kind of motive, but if I do have any kind of motive, it's to motivate people like me, not just in the way that we've been told that it's okay to feel motivated, like sharing our story, but actually reconnecting with this new intelligence in our brain, this other faculty of intelligence that we don't reconnect with because we're told that it's just a mental illness. And in my experience as me, all of this talking can't be just mental illness. It actually could be seen as a sign of mental illness, but I'm not sure that it is. And the good thing is that there's so much of it that people who just watch a minute and, and turn it off won't get it. So it's almost like getting rid of the people who wouldn't resonate just by virtue of the fact that one would have to watch more than a minute or two to actually resonate with it. Or after a minute or two, someone would either resonate or not. And it's to resonate with one's own self. So I would be most happy if somebody else who's been through this kind of stuff watched something I have to say for two minutes and then just reactivated one's own voice and just talked to oneself and other people for the rest of one's life and not listen to this stuff. It's about each of our voices together. And that's where the power is if we start saying, maybe this isn't just a meaningless mental illness, maybe it's something else. And we don't even know exactly what it is, but if we start talking together in this way, then we might actually start to discover something. I'm more interested in that, in than just what I have to say to myself. I'm more interested in what other people might say to me or themselves from hearing a little bit of what I say to myself, which isn't even a voice of my ego self. It's something else. And it's a voice we all share. 
And last night I also slept well and I took the half of a Seroquel and one Trazodone and Lithium. Still taking the hearty nutritional stuff and so that's going well. And it's just a couple days to eCPR, which I'm really excited to take and see if it resonates. I feel like I need to center in something before going to eCPR, like read up on some information or just get in that mindset because I haven't really been in that mindset for a couple of months. And I was sharing with somebody that there's this pull into beauty, just perceiving beauty and being with beauty forever, but there's this other inner richness of compassion that understands that there's so many people like me out there suffering, and I still suffer too, but I'm still moving towards beauty. But what I'm trying to say is that pull of compassion, I wouldn't be able to just stay in beauty all my life by myself. I have to also do something with that sense of compassion because we're all one. And if other people are suffering through this kind of thing, it still affects me. And that's why I spend a lot of my time talking to myself about this stuff because Something has to be done. And that's why I'm so hopeful about ECPR because maybe it'll be part of the something that has to be done. I found a somewhat quiet spot and I'm earthing. And I was thinking about how talking so much about all of this related to mental health is really to learn about it, just to be free of it, not to keep talking about it forever. To be free of it and be that other kind of human being that I've experienced myself to be. And that really requires looking without condemnation, but really wondering to figure out how it all works. And in order to learn about it, if one calls it good or bad, it prevents learning. And I was thinking about how it's important to be free of fear because it's the fear that drives us to seek help from the mental health system. And to me, that exacerbates things more than necessary. And it could take a good amount of practice and wondering and tweaking to find a way to make it so one can avoid the mental health system.
So I wanted to take a second and read a quote by Krishnamurti. I feel like what he points to has something to do with map consciousness. And I'm not saying it's totally equivalent, but he says, I think man has come to a point where he feels that one must have a new mind, a new quality of mind. I mean by mind, the activities of the brain, consciousness, sensory perception, and intelligence. Is it possible before man destroys himself completely to bring about a new mind? Is it possible for human beings to bring about a totally different category or dimension of the mind? And to me, I feel like map consciousness is consciousness's attempt to bring about this new dimension and category in the mind, and it's not really working so easily as people at the level of thought consciousness transform it into something else. Sort of capture those minds and convert that process back into a process dominated by thought and thinking about oneself and one's own problems and making it into a me mental illness. So maybe it's already happening, it's just a matter of people supporting people to journey through it. Maybe nothing else needs to be done except for that. Just having more compassion while people go through this process without drugging them back into believing that they have a mental illness. And he says also when you put away something false, the mind becomes lighter. And the me is false, and when we put that away, we become lighter, we become more energetic. And he describes something interesting. He says, discard everything that is false, which is everything that thought has put together. Then the mind has no illusion. And he talks about reading the book of oneself. And he says, I began with the first chapter which says, be aware of your senses. And the next chapter says, human beings have their partial senses, exaggerating one sense and denying the others. The third chapter says, see all the senses can operate. That means there is no center of a particular sensory operation. And the fourth chapter and so on and so on. I'm not going to read the book for you. Read it and explore. But so much of what he points to is talking about map consciousness, and I feel like he had a transformation experience. He definitely did, but luckily he was held and kept safe by so many people who didn't think that anything that was happening was wrong. Plus, it was a hundred years ago now, so there wasn't really that paradigm so much. So I'm starting to read more Krishnamurti stuff again instead of focusing on mental health. And I have done a lot of writing, but I feel not so compelled to go to it. 
It's like that process could go on forever and I don't know if I want to keep fueling that. Just because it can go on forever doesn't mean that I should fuel it to go on forever. And I could change my mind and get right back into it very soon, but for now I'm not sure how much of my notes I'll go over. I remember reading through some of it just to see if there was anything I really wanted to say. And I wrote down that thought in a way is yester sound, it's sound of yesterday. And something I realized today was that I was watching a talk by Krishnamurti and he was talking about how we live very mechanically in the thought programs basically. And I feel like these thought programs are in our brain and their soundscapes and their yester sound. And I feel like the sound is actually blocking the energy of our heart. So our heart is love. And we all have a heartbeat, we all have that love, but it's being blocked by this cage of yester sound. And I feel like when that breaks open, it's just living according to love and not this mechanical thought programs. And so I wonder if I can live according to love. And I was seeing a lot more beauty lately, but that seems to have decreased somewhat. I'm not sure why. I think it could be because I've been taking this Seroquel for longer than I've wanted to mainly to get myself to ECPR, which is in a couple days. So after that, I will stop taking the Seroquel. I'm kind of tired of needing to drug myself to stay in this sort of limited form. And Today I met somebody who wrote a book on her journal of being a psych nurse and it had several stories about her connecting with patients on the psych unit that she worked on. And I read the whole thing in one sitting and then I told her and she's like, wow, that was quick. And I said, well, it's my genre. And it's interesting because I'm pretty sure in a video yesterday or the day before I said to myself that I feel like I want to do something just to put myself in that mode of mental health and then it just came up in conversation that she wrote this book and she happened to have a copy and she gave it to me to read and I read it and it was quite touching and it's very much exactly in alignment with ECPR so I feel like it could be a synchronicity in a way and I told her that I have a label and she was surprised that I wore the bracelet with my label on it and I explained why even though I was almost thinking wow it would be good to not have that immediately as how I would be helped possibly but whatever 
In these last couple days, I've had a bit of doubt on the self-dialogue process in general. Not the process, but possibly about sharing it, or I feel it's important to always be dropping the meanings that I make. So I make all these meanings to have a different context, but it's important not to cling on to any of them. The greatest moment of the day was saving a little beetle from a spider web. I saw him walking in circles because his leg was attached to a spider web. This little guy is stuck on a spider web. I saved him with a stick. And I don't know how many people take the trouble of saving insects, but his little life will live on as it's meant to. Speaking of which, that's really good timing. There's a fly on my head. And I can't remember if yesterday I talked about how a bluebird nearly landed on my hand. I would hold it out like this, and he might have thought there was food, but he attempted to land twice, and there was no food, so that could have been why he didn't land. But I'm going to try and see if one day he'll land just for the sake of love, not for the sake of food. Because I haven't fed this bird, because... It's not the greatest to feed wild birds. And I haven't yet attached my grasshopper takeoff video. Or my feet relaxing video. So yeah, I feel like something shifted these last few days and it could be taking the Seroquel, it could be taking the Hardy Nutritionals or both. And I feel a bit more calm in terms of doing the self-dialogue. I just want to really enjoy being in California and I don't want to be doing two hours of self-dialogue a day, so... Maybe I'll keep it more to a journal of what's happening in terms of this hearty nutritionals process and seeing if I can be off the Seroquel in California, seeing how long I'll be able to stay in California. I am hoping mid-July at least.
and maybe mid-August, but we'll see how it goes. Because I may just have to go home and and come off these medications and up the hearty nutritionals or something. I'm not going to stay down here and take Seroquel every day. I feel like my job is partly to stay sane in an insane world. And I was watching a video by Simon Sinek, and I didn't watch the whole thing because he started talking again about Navy SEALs, like he likes to do. And I just don't think promoting killing is my thing. So using that as an example of high performance is, I don't know, it's just a little bit... Yeah. It shouldn't exist, so, yeah, anyway, but he did say that a tip for something along moving towards your spark or something is as long as what you're doing isn't getting in the way of what other people want, or you getting what you want getting in the way of what other people want, so this self-dialogue is good because... This doesn't prevent anyone from getting help from psychiatry if that's what they want. It's just creating other contexts to help myself avoid psychiatry, get through it when I do have to access that, hopefully transcend psychiatry, and... And also maybe one day move this whole process into a realm that isn't a medical problem. Right now it's turned into a medical problem. Anything can be turned into a medical problem. But yeah, part of this shift I think is something to do with just remaining kind of quiet and seeing what other layers just need to fall away. And this is a good place to do it just because I'm in California, somewhere quiet. It's just going into this sort of healing mode, I think. Maybe healing some of the stuff that has more, has more of an opportunity to heal in this quiet, beautiful place. Instead of just self-dialogue, self-dialogue, writing down insights all the time. Because the thing with that process is when I decide to go back into it, it will definitely just reignite. It's not something that one loses. So knowing that, I can kind of turn off that faculty and, and just for a while like today I was sitting outside and I was very content with just listening to the flies buzz around land on leaves and play chase and as two of them would fly by me 
about four inches apart. I swear I could hear where the producers of Star Wars got their inspiration for all their aircraft flying through space in those fighting scenes, like And today I saw a lizard that just the way the sun was hitting the side of his abdomen, there was a rainbow on his skin and it must have just been the perfect angle for me to see that and it's probably like that on all of them all the time. But he was really absorbing all the colors of the light not just the heat of the sun. And I took a video of a lizard that I put my toe near and he wouldn't move. Lizard. was kind of cool. That infinity of nature is always there to connect with it any moment. And I heard somebody talking about accents and then sometimes words make my brain have a hint of something regarding map consciousness, but I was thinking of mania as a sort of accent of a different language, just like there can be many different kinds of English accents. One could be accented with mania and speak in a little bit different way. Like some people say that gay people speak in a way that is gay and that's sort of a stereotype that may or may not be true and people may or may not want to ascribe to, but there could be at some point just a manic accent in that if we're able to prune the process and remain somewhat functional we might just have an accent of mania instead of this thing that psychiatry would like to call a mood disorder I think
think we're moody because we're reacting to society and we're calling it out to the detriment of ourselves. So in map consciousness, the me isn't doing well, but the mind is just fine. So what other layers of this me can fall away because I'm in a safe place where I don't really need those defenses right now. I'm not working in mental health. I'm not needing to get all up in arms about stuff. So can I release that and, and practice abiding in this other state and bring that back when I go back home versus being so charged by things. And I really don't know. But I have been sitting quietly and meditating many nights and I don't think it's necessary per se, but it could in a way help to calm my nervous system. And I did call this sort of a, a glad park thing in a way. So this would be an ideal scenario and letting that ideal environment permeate my biology and my nervous system and and see what happens if there can be some healing there. And that might show more than talking about stuff in circles to be able to abide in that calmness and take that back. So I will talk about a few things, but I'm seeing now as I'm talking about it, the value of perhaps just calming down with it all. And maybe that calmness will help to ground some of that manic energy if it comes when I eventually journey off these medications. And it's the gesture of the mind to reach out and touch us. And I really feel like it's breaking up these mechanized thought structures and we're actually learning how to be human beings without these mechanical actions. And I wonder how to really bring in the love and the compassion and to have that animate And to be really grounded in that and not reactive even when it comes to mental health stuff. Like can I bring ECPR back home without even needing it? Can I use this time to heal? And there's another thing that Krishnamurti said in a video that really struck me with what I've been talking about with language and stuff was the observer creates the linguistic difference between the observer and the thing observed. And he talks a lot about being with fear and 
facing fear, and I think that by taking Seroquel, I definitely don't face the fear, and I'm not with the fear. I medicate it away. And he also talks about authority, and I feel like when I go to the psych ward, it's like using that authority to save me because I can't face the fear. And I really don't know. I haven't gone into that. But the fear will need to be faced. And maybe it's not fear at all. Maybe it's just this strong physiological reaction that I interpret as fear so I don't allow it to run its course. And Krishnamurti talks about a non-mechanical way of living. And he says the way we live now is very mechanical. And I know from the felt sense of map consciousness that it's definitely not a mechanical state. It's breaking out of that mechanized way of being and being totally fluid and flowing with the moment. And I just wonder why that can't be maintained. Why can't that effortlessness be maintained? And then when we go back down to the level of mechanization, it feels so difficult. It feels like so much more effort. And that effortlessness requires sensitivity and intelligence, but the trouble is there's too much noise in this world to live that way and be that sensitive. So this is my rental car. So I'm getting packed up for my trip to LA. It looks like I am going to make it to ECPR. I'm going to leave tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. But this is some of the stuff I'm packing and some of the stuff I carry with me always down here. I always carry my phone charger because I'm making videos or editing them or so many different things on the phone. So I don't like to run out of charge. And sometimes, depending on what I'm doing on my phone, it can run out pretty quick. And I always have my headphones and an extra charge for my phone separate. And I love my little macro lens. It's super awesome and I like to capture small little things being cool. And I'm always carrying with me my zap straps. I have two because I can strap one around my wrist and one around an object and tie them together and be quite secure. Or I can use just one and tie it around my wrist. And then there's just enough Seroquel to knock me out cold, as well as two Trazodone as well. If I ever get in the position where I just want to knock myself out and, and lay there, it's a total emergency, never had to use it, but I find it helps me feel safe. And this is like a little towel, a little travel towel. I always forget to use it. I haven't ever put myself in the habit of using it. If there's oranges around, might want an orange peeler, a little mini knife. I used to eat avocados, so I'd open it with a knife and then eat it with this mini spoon. But I don't think I'll bring these. 
or this, but I do have them in my bag. You may or may not want your own little plastic fish. I will have a bathtub at the hotel, so I might want to bring this. Mm -hmm. Probably not. I'll put it in the to-go pile. And my love whistle. I probably, well, maybe I will bring this. And I always have chapstick with me. So these are always with me. And my rental car keys. I probably only need to bring one. And a water bottle. Somebody gave this to me. It's the one thing I didn't bring with me to California and I hadn't bought one yet. And then somebody gave one to me and it's for hot and cold. So that's awesome. Synchronicity. And I always carry a hanky because I have a runny nose. So bad. So I use this when I can. And so like chapstick and hanky are like the most important things in the whole thing. And then probably the charger. And then probably the lens. Well, this is always going to be with me since I've had a bit of struggle. And last night I did okay on the half Seroquel and one Trazodone, as well as lithium. And I will do that when I'm in LA as well. And I have my passport in case I need it. And my wallet with some money and credit cards and ID and stuff. And then this is my hearty nutritionals for the time I'll be away for three times a day. And this is the book that I read that I told you about. And it makes me a little bit inspired to write a book and just create a little something of information about what it's like to stay in a psych ward or something like that. And earplugs, I wear those every night. And and this is really important. Super important. Squeaky fart putty. I probably won't bring that to the workshop though. But it might help. If I was supporting somebody and they're talking, they're distressed, I would just go. There we go. That's the motion. I won this as a prize. It's very awesome. So anyway, and I have some snacks, and then I have some cosmetics, some clothes, my my medication, which I'll probably just take a nap. I'm not going to take all that, and my new notebook. So. I was listening to a talk, and I haven't listened to all of it, but it was by Matthew Federici, and he was talking about some studies where people with the best outcomes that are patients are mindfully non-adherent, and I love that term, and definitely describes me and it describes what I was trying to be when I was in the psych ward last year I was trying to be mindfully non-adherent but unfortunately that doesn't always work in the psych ward when a person is certified and has no say whatsoever unless 
the doctor actually happens to listen, which didn't happen in my instance. And he said it's the highest level of self-advocacy when somebody has a belief system and they speak up about treatments they would or would not want. And it has actually been studied, so it's not something just made up. And I heard somebody before say they read a study that people who were non-compliant actually did better in the long term. Which just shows we know best and we know what's best for ourselves and what resonates and what doesn't. So yes, mindful non-adherence. And I'm really hoping that ECPR helps with that sort of approach and gives more space for mindful non-adherence because there's more other types of support so one can further the range of one's mindful non-adherence. So I'm going to bring this book tomorrow just maybe to show people or I'm not sure what will happen. But I'm spending the day looking at some stuff to just get back into that mode somewhat. I still have my blue feather and tonight I'm going to go to a full moon meditation at this meditation place and the full moon time tonight is exactly 9.09 p.m. where I am and the ceremony or the meditation is from 7.30 to 8.30 or something so I wonder if I'll get to be up there while it's the actual full moon and another part of the significance of this is that it's full moon in Aries and probably because it's the Aries time of the year. And the thing for me is that I am an Aries. My birthday is in a week. So it's really cool to be able to go to this full moon meditation where there's wishes of peace for the world. Whereas last year at this time, not only was I not in California, I was incarcerated in a psych ward so it's amazing to one year later be living my dream not perfectly because I'm taking some Seroquel to get by right now and probably taking it even more because I'm not at home with my network of support, but I'm here partly to heal and partly to move towards facilitating bringing more of a network of support to my hometown. ECPR is not yet in my country and it would be amazing to be able to bring it. So. I'll be talking more about that, I think, because by this time tomorrow, I'll probably have an idea about if I'm going to do that. And I probably will, even if I'm not quite certain, because who knows what will expand out of it. But it's pretty amazing 
because this time last year I wasn't sure if I was going to turn 34. Part of that whole people who die at 33, like Kurt Cobain and other celebrities, even though I wasn't thinking of myself as a celebrity, I was just thinking, I really don't know if I'm going to make it to 34. I almost ran away from the hospital one of the days and who knows what would have happened to me if I would have done that because they probably would have locked me up in isolation and things. But it was so terrifying to get through even when I decided not to run away. It was just the scariest 33 days of my life. And this time last year, that's what was happening. I spent my birthday in the psych ward. In previous days, I voted in the psych ward. Done some weird things in the psych ward. And it seems like this year I won't celebrate my birthday in the psych ward. And I'm not in this place where I'm thinking that I don't know if I'm going to live another day. Whether it's by my own hand or it was just the most terrifying thing. If you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about. It's so scary and it was made worse by the medication and that's why I will never go back of my own volition. I will never go back there on my own two feet. And this is a blessing in disguise because this will make me extra diligent and it has made me extra diligent. Another thing I want to do with this car, and I'm not sure if I will, it depends on how I feel being away for a night in LA for ECPR. But I'm thinking about driving to Vegas for one night to see Celine Dion. And the reason is because when I was first hospitalized and diagnosed, when I was out of the hospital, I spent a lot of time just watching her videos, her world tour video, and then her live in Boston video. For some reason, I was just completely entrained and just watching her sing and also be silly with people on her tour and everything just really helped me. It was very grounding and I don't know why Celine Dion, it just sort of was something that I found very calming. And because of that, I've wanted to go and see her in Vegas, and I tried to in 2014, I think it was, but she actually ended up canceling her show. But I went to Vegas anyway, but I didn't see her. And My sister is going to be kind of mad at me, but I'm not going to tell her because she would definitely be mad that I'm going without her. And I am too, but the thing is that the way things are with my brain, I never know if I'm going to get back to the States again. I don't know if when I go back and I get back into advocacy and mental health somewhat, if my brain might freak out and I might end up who knows? Like, I really don't know 
how much longer I'm going to live. I could live another 50 years. I could live another two days. I really don't know. So knowing that, I kind of want to go. It's a five-hour drive, and I really like driving more so than flying. So I'm wanting to go, and we'll see how it goes if I do end up making the trip. And I will tell her later. And it just feels like somewhat of a completion in a way of going and seeing her and honoring that energy, seeing her live. And I don't really create that many goals per se, but that was one I created just as one of those bucket list things. But I don't want it to be a bucket list thing. I want it to be a an acknowledgement of of the journey of making it from the place of sitting there hopeless watching her and feeling somewhat calm to being able to go and see her live in Vegas and another thing I'm realizing with this putting less attention into the self-dialogue of insights is that it's moving towards that embodied thing I was talking about but I sort of ignored in favor of continuing to just talk about abstractions it's helpful context but I could create that forever and that might be to the detriment of my physical body and I feel like I need to be strong. I need to be strong for the journey ahead, the next part of the journey in being embodied in such a way that it might help others to know if I end up coming off my medication. It might help others if I bring ECPR back home. And, and I feel like in order to do that, I need to be physically and mentally strong. And I'm somewhat mentally strong in, in navigating if I do feel distress for myself, but I don't know if I'm mentally strong to face some of the stuff that might be some of these unanticipated consequences of that which I feel this energy to do. Developing some of that equanimity that Tom Wooten talks about and and having a physically strong body right now I feel out of shape and slightly overweight and that's not really good for going back and trying to do what it is I want to do to sort of feel my best in my body and be mentally and physically strong would be the most beneficial. So I've somewhat told myself that after my birthday, I'm going to put some more effort into eating healthy and, and getting into some form of shape. And perhaps I'll share more of that as opposed to this whole abstracting stuff. Though, I do want to look through it and make sure I didn't miss anything really good. 
I've been looking at it and seeing that there's a lot of stuff that I see that I've already talked about or it's just not that interesting. Maybe it was at the time when I wrote it down. And that could be one thing is just writing stuff down and then taking pictures of the pages and sharing it on my blog. I think part of the reason to do that is that some of the stuff that I say sounds like it could be from somebody else maybe, I don't know, but just showing showing the process a little bit, showing that there's this other source of information that we connect to as people who are bipolar. And that's part of what this is too, is just to show what it's like to have a bipolar brain and maybe other people will resonate with it somewhat and it might show ways to actually harness the process in a way so it doesn't get out of hand and, and take on a life of its own and then take away from one's life. Because I've been in spaces where I write stuff down and I literally feel like I'm going to have a panic attack. That was years ago. So it's a process and and that was part of the process was to share that there's something else happening and it's not just this meaningless mental illness and it's something that one can have a relationship with. One can have a relationship with this other information coming through and this process to me shows that relationship somewhat and shows that it doesn't really have to even mean anything. It's just like in a way, one could see oneself as almost having this addiction to this other information that we're not making up ourselves. It's not really an addiction, but I'm just saying there's this urge, there's this urgency, there's something there, there's this energy that drives us to write this stuff down. And we write it down, it doesn't even feel like our own, yet when we read it, we have this desire and a way to make some sense out of it. And maybe it doesn't really make any sense. Maybe part of it is just to have that relationship with it so the energy doesn't make us feel like we want to explode in a way. If we can write and listen to ourselves, then maybe we don't feel so much like, oh, I need somebody to listen to me. I need to change the world. Maybe it's just changing one's own world by having some sort of relationship with this information, these insights, this other way of seeing these visions. And maybe the what to do with it will come about one day. Because I pretty much established with myself that it's an unending, unlimited process. And now instead of it taking me over and running my life, which it hasn't for a long time, I can sort of tap into it and turn it on if I want and then turn it off. Sort of like we can close our eyes if we don't want to see. It's like turning that sense off. And I really do feel like it's this other dimension of the human mind. And even Krishnamurti said that in his quote. And to me, it's just incredible that he says those things. Yet... To me, it's so obvious that this other dimension of the mind is trying to boot up. But the trouble is, 
there's more people in the world that this is not happening to and when they see this happening to people they get scared and they do something that messes up the process instead of just remaining curious and open and unconditionally loving and that's all stuff that's part of ECPR. So to me ECPR could even be providing space for those brains who have this flowering of their brain happening Go through the process and see what happens. Nobody knows what happens, not even the people who are going through it. And we don't know what happens when we provide space for a lot of people to have this dimension of their brain open up instead of closing it off. And I don't think that has been done at all because even with what is being done right now that's considered good and it has some value is still filtering and warping people's brains back into fitting into society as if society is the gold standard. And I don't think it is. I think there's a gold standard opening up in our brains that we have not even begun to scratch the surface of what it can do. And providing safety, psychological safety is one thing, but when I move into something beyond that, I really want to support people to really move into their magic, move into their superhuman capabilities, which we don't even know what that is, but we really have to provide the space and love for that to happen. The human brain really needs this space and love and non-judgmentalness or it's, I don't know what's gonna happen. Well, things are already happening. We're just not really making the connection and people won't because the human brain only thinks about itself. It doesn't think about the human brain as a whole of humanity and other entities that are conscious. And it's just, it's just a gong show really. And in saying that I need to transform myself into my superhero, superhuman version of myself, which might not look very much different and partly one of the promises I made when I was still in the map conscious state the very first time, it was so intense. I felt like I was dying. I felt like I was in a coffin. I could hear people at my funeral, but I was laying there next to a friend and I immediately just jumped up and I thought I said out loud, I stand up for my niece and I, sensed in myself that I need to be the best I can be for my nieces and, and other innocent young children who at this point don't stand a chance in life even if they get the best of what life has to offer. If I'm alive and something happens to somebody that I care about I would not let this happen to them, what's happened to me. I would not. I would know better. And so I feel like this whole thing is done. Like this way of treating people is done. It's going to be made obsolete. So the real question has nothing to do with mental health. And Krishnamurti's quote again is, is it possible for human beings to bring about a totally different dimension or category 
of the mind. And I really feel like this is already happening. The mind, the, the totality, Gaia, is putting people into these states to energetically animate us in this different way to bring about this other dimension. But unfortunately, it wears out. And then the way it's received as a person is falling out of it prevents it from taking hold because really what that needs what that seed brain who's going through that transformation needs is unconditional love and space and something else will happen then if someone's judged and labeled obviously it makes if somebody's judged and labeled by some kind of professional what is their trajectory versus this other way and it really is an act of faith by people who don't know what's happening for to be that supportive and trust that something good is going to happen. Can we go from labels to love? Sunday is with me. The last rays ablaze. It's eight forty four, and I don't know if I'll be up here until nine oh nine when it's exactly full. I don't think I've ever been to a group meditation like this before. The guy was talking about Christ and the Christification of many, and I feel like map consciousness is that. It's calibrating us for that Christification energy. And it's interesting how so many people who go into that state often at some point connect with the feeling of being Christ. And I think it's an advantage to have that calibration happen because if all of a sudden a mass amount of that energy does come in and there is a Christification of many, the people who have already tasted it are going to understand it more. Blah, blah, blah. And he also talked about receiving a higher spiritual imprint, which to me sounds like the blueprint of map consciousness feel like there could be a school of philosophy of map consciousness of people who actually experientially touch these realities that are pointed to with so many different wisdom traditions but when they come back from that they sound like crazy people that state that they're pointing to was just like the state we are in now, it wouldn't be anything different, so it wouldn't be that which they're pointing to. When we're in that state, we're actually pointing to it, but it just appears kind of long. 
Pinky. I better move towards my car. So it's just hitting 909 now. So the full moon is officially full. Still 909. This is the full moon. So I'm ready to go to ECPR in LA. I have an hour and a half drive at least, but I'm leaving extra time just in case. Let's see if the traffic is as bad as it's said to be. I'm gonna have my breakfast ready. I'm not gonna drink any fluids because I don't wanna have to pee. If I would have been doing better, I would have booked a hostel and stayed for a couple of nights, but since I'm not feeling the greatest, I'm only going for one night. I'm laying here in my weirdest hotel room ever. In a kind of creepy area of LA. And I did the first day of ECPR today, and I feel really good about the training information even though it might not seem like it because I'm really tired. I woke up super early to drive to LA which took about two and a half hours and then was in training all day and now I'm at my weird hotel room. This is what it looks like. And there's like the weirdest little kitchen thing that I think is all mine. But it's so weird, I don't even wanna go out there. Not sure if anyone else has access to this weird kitchen. And then there's a balcony, which I think is shared and I don't wanna go out there either. And I am supposed to go for dinner with the trainers, which I really want to do. It's a great opportunity to get to know them, find out more about what they're doing. Look, it's my toes. And I'm going for dinner with the facilitators, so I feel like I need to study up a little bit. Get my mind in the right orientation. Like, what am I doing here again? What is my passion in this area? 
during the training I had this idea to create my own class but not really a class but something about alternatives and options and I created a document about that maybe I'll talk about it some other time but it's about creating a safety first and it's whatever works for the person so for me I have Advanced Directive, Zabstraps, Seroquel, things like that. And then also creating connection and, and then moving towards thriving. And I have a bunch of stuff written down, but I was also thinking it'd be cool to set it up to help have people co-create that. And others have done that too. That's how RAP was created. I'm pretty sure ECPR had an element of that in it too. And I don't know what the difference with what I'm envisioning is, but I think it's a little bit of having a person understand that they're really purposefully going to attempt to thrive. Attempt thriving instead of just getting by. And it's great to have emotional CPR in the times of distress. And it's great to have wrap plans. I remember talking about creating a WAM plan, which is more about thriving. I don't really know what I'm talking about because I'm tired, but, and I think I do need to create some kind of social enterprise with me being the first social enterprise person in the social enterprise. And they talked about learning through participation. Well, I need to continue learning through just continuing to create this stuff. And I feel like in map consciousness we go from sharing gestures of mania all that energy and all those gestures and when the energy runs out we actually need gestures of love and unconditional regard in order to gain some of that energy back that we lost by sharing it all away we try to share it and when people don't play back with us then it's lost and I wrote down that I'm not trying to do anything. We are, meaning the collection of all of us as a neuro tribe, we're all trying to do something. But when we try to do it separately, it's not as powerful as if we were to get together and dialogue and play in order to see what it is that we're trying to create and also awakening that dimension in the brain so the peer potential project came back to mind again and I've been wanting to think of a word for positive triggers and I realized that it could be energizers things that are energizing because we're taught to be aware of our triggers but I'm curious about energizers and what spurs us into being in that energized state where we're sharing energy and connecting and reaching out and caring. So hopefully 
dinner goes well and I'll be able to share stuff and who knows what will happen. I'm here with Dr. Daniel Fisher who talked about psychosis as a monologue and it's really cool to be heading in this direction in my big weird hotel room this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine that song popped in my head so I figured I would just sing it songs pop in my head sometimes like they do for all of us but often there's nothing going on in my head and then a faint song comes in I have the sense that as this dialogue goes on and I'm more embodied and actually creating something alongside with this process of self-dialogue hopefully I'll smile more before I started working in peer support two years ago I worked in a medical office and I was always smiling and laughing and joking around and being loving and caring and I really was thriving and then and then I got involved in mental health working in mental health and I lost that but I think that's what I want back the most is that joy and being able to laugh at myself again so much of the self-dialogue I feel will come across as very serious but if I was embodying my mania I wouldn't be serious at all and I also feel that before I can share any of that context that I created I, I kind of have to live it otherwise it's just a bunch of words so I need to move towards embodying my mania and be firmly rooted in that before sharing this process of self-dialogue as something beneficial to help one embody one's mania I did the harvest phase for sure and now practice part of practice is taking this class in LA just going for it and I have the car for another number of days after I go back to where I'm staying and I'm probably gonna drive to Vegas now that's definitely something a manic would do drive to Vegas for one night to see Celine Dion so that's definitely concrete action embodied it's not just abstractions so those would be 
things that show this embodying the mania and I feel like as a person who goes into altered states I don't really have I don't really have a bucket list because my life is not really entirely my own I don't always have a say over what happens to me and I don't know how much longer I get to live or how much longer I get to live the way I want to so I feel like a bucket list almost implies you have this whole bucket of things you want to do but I guess it's because it's the things you want to do before you kick the bucket and I don't know where that saying came from kick the bucket but I feel like it could be something around attempting thriving list that doesn't have a good ring to it though could be called like a crazy days list something you would do if you're crazy but also something you would do before you go crazy again because you don't know if you'll get a chance to so you better do it now it's almost the opposite of a bucket list where one day we'll get to it it's like we have to do it now and that's something we feel in mania too is we have to do it right now but can we still have that feeling yet not be manic the point of all this too is embodying one's mania and thriving as one would when in the state of mania without the state of mania which I've talked about before it's important to practice these thriving gestures when we're not actually thriving when we're sort of even not just spending the even time waiting for the next crisis to happen or doing the things we would do if we're waiting for the next crisis time to happen and not really taking advantage of those times where we're even and we actually can do stuff because a lot of what rap talks about is wellness tools to make you feel better when you're not feeling good all the sections except for one are based on when you're not doing well and there's seven sections and one is about maintaining daily and then if you're not doing well and you're doing worse and you're doing worse well what about when you're not just maintaining but when you're in this space where you can put some energy towards thriving we don't even talk about thriving in this genre of living as a labeled person and I think it's time for that to change and I can't remember if I shared I created this loved experience project to have people come in and have fun experiences who've been labeled and just have a chance to come in and have fun like improv and stand-up comedy and practice of play and a voice coach to connect to one's voice it's so important because we lose our voice we lose our communication so that's why I'm determined to create this safety so then when one attempts to thrive and maybe 
comes down from that because they've shared all their gestures and sort of run out of juice. It could almost be a juice list or a maybe just an energy list. Things that one will do with one's energy when one has some energy, what one wants to put one's energy into, and it's probably something that is going to give one energy. I feel this is kind of mapping new territory to purposefully be manic without being manic. And I don't think manic or mania is a bad word. I actually really like those words. They're just energy. People use them for different things. Like super sales will be called mania, like Chrysomania or something. So it's usually positive connotations. And even manic, I like to say man, I see. Man and the letter I and the letter C, meaning man, I as in eyes, and see, seeing, or see the speed of light. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. I will continue my report later from my weird hotel room. I'll be kind of happy when it's tomorrow and I'm across the street and my car is parked outside the building and I'm no longer at this hotel and I don't have to sleep in this town again. I don't usually think that way but I don't love being alone in creepy hotels. So I made it through the night at my creepy hotel. I went for dinner with Dr. Fisher and Maria and had a good chat. And then I got back to the hotel and I talked to my friend on the phone for a while. And then we got onto some cool stuff about ideas after talking about some of our challenges which is cool, and I was laughing my butt off from what we thought we might try to create. So I'm here with my coffee, waiting for day two of ECPR. I don't have to go back to the hotel because I'll be driving back to my spot tonight. And I got a tip to try Benadryl for sleep. So I will pick some of that up and try that for tapering off the Seroquel. Well, basically just not taking the Seroquel anymore. I've only been taking half. So I reached my goal, I got myself to ECPR and who knows what's next. There's a statue over there. I think that could be the inspiration for Avatar. There's like hair going into the ground. Pretty sure that's where they got the inspiration. And I got this little Dave's Buttermilk Bar from my hotel continental breakfast. So I'm going to see what that's all about.
a bit messy because I was driving with the windows down and Google Maps took me a different way I guess because it was a bit faster and it was very beautiful and it was just nice to see all the green and the hills and the trees and the stuff that I couldn't really look at very closely because I was driving and the ECPR training was really good and the group was great. I learned a lot about facilitating and I learned a bit about the people who are involved in this movement to make ECPR more available. And for me, experiencing that, it just felt very natural, like that's the way things should be. So in my mind it wasn't this amazing thing because it was just like, well this is how it should be. Even though it is an amazing thing. It's hard to really say what I'm trying to describe, but after the training I also felt kind of... Like I had less hope in a way because this ECPR training isn't cheap and it's sort of beyond my control to get that kind of funding to start that sort of movement. At least it is partly beyond my control. Whereas something like going out for a walk is within my control. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about how there's no answers really. I keep searching for answers and there are no answers. And even if this is an answer, it's not something that I have complete control over. I can't just go back home and just be like, yeah, we're just gonna run a group because it costs money. And I just feel like the recovery movement, even though it's new, it's already old. I want something like a rediscovery and recreation movement. Rediscovering that energy one connected with. Rediscovering lost parts of oneself. Recreating oneself. Daily. I just feel the sense of, what can I really do? What do I really have the power to do? And so I feel like going through a few of my documents and just editing them and editing out everything that is outside of my direct power. 
Like, if I want to get healthier, I can eat healthier food. That's something I can do. But if I want to have eCPR as a group at home, I don't have the direct power to do it. I thought I did, but they were saying it needs a sponsored agency and blah blah and stuff that I don't have that position to offer. I'm still going to move towards seeing if I can help, if I can do some presentations on eCPR and get people to hopefully pick it up. But I have to also make sure to focus on the things that I do have power to do. I have power to do self-dialogue. I have power to go to Vegas. I have power to start eating healthier and getting some exercise because I really haven't been doing that. Simple things. I feel like finding the dimensions that I want to work through me. Not necessarily work on, but what do I want to work through me? And so part of it is thinking back to some of the stuff I talked about myself with, which I don't remember. If I tried to just think of it and summarize it, I don't think I could. But perhaps things will come to me. I know laughter is important and altruism, which I haven't really connected with fully at all. And I guess I feel like there's just not that many people in the world I connect with. My friend who we're going to share brains and, and get creative, I really connect with him. And I connect with my family, because they're my family. And other people, for sure. I guess I feel sad that many of us who have been labeled are sort of medicated into mediocrity and medicated into a shorter lifespan. And, and I find it sad. I find it sad to hear people talking of such simple things and painful things. It's almost like keeping one's life so simple because life has been so painful and that's just really sad to me. And And I don't even want to wait for an ECPR movement for people to be thriving. I just, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say or what I'm feeling, but... I talked today with them about how I'm sort of walking a fine line staying down here in California because I have to take this half a Seroquel to sleep and I've been taking it longer than I would ever want to just to get to eCPR. So tonight I'm not going to take the half a Seroquel and I'm going to see if I sleep. I didn't stop and get the Benadryl and maybe I should have, but I'll take the Seroquel if I can't sleep. But if I can, good. Mm. 
I'm just tired of relying on these medications, and I talked about that, and I'm taking the Hardy Nutritionals. I don't know if it'll work. So, it's just... I don't know, and I don't have a lot of energy, and I just don't feel the greatest. And I was thinking that labeled lives matter, people with labels and diagnoses, whether they're correct or not. And then the people trying to help and support them are burning out and it's just, it's all messed up and And when I watched that talk by Matthew Federici, he mentioned too that people can move beyond needing service and needing medication and that people shouldn't be told that they're going to need this stuff for life. And he also mentioned something interesting that reminds me of exactly what I'm doing with this process of self-dialogue. He said, new dialogues emerge out of new eyes, different perspectives than the traditional perspective. And what I've been talking about is many different perspectives than the traditional perspective. As I've seen from my numerous perspectives, because part of what happens through mad consciousness is the ability to take perspectives and see from many different perspectives. And I think he said new dialogues and new insights. He either said that or I just wrote it down. And he even said crisis defined with a mental health label. So implying that it doesn't necessarily have to be defined in that way. And I really feel like people who are advocates yet still connected to the system, they know a lot more and they're just holding back. They're only saying so much because they know they can only say so much. And they say quite a bit beyond what the system would think. So they're providing valuable insight, but I still think they hold back. So perhaps the more of us who have more context and more perspectives and more of a voice, a stronger voice, then people who are in the position of advocates can actually speak up even more because there's more evidence. It's, it's the people speaking up or the evidence. That's going to be the biggest evidence. So yeah, I've talked about a lot of different possibilities in these dialogues from the very beginning talking about creating a respite. I'd love to create a respite where people that get labeled get to help homeless people because people that get labeled often connect to altruism and then that way they could help homeless people and then be altruistic and then feel better about themselves and put their newly acquired sensation and orientation in their brain to use instead of just trying to bend it back to the old egoic way of being and then when that starts to happen it starts to get bent back a person seems even more egoic because they're not liking this this shift back from the way that they were growing.
so so those are like dream size projects that again I don't have the power to carry out on my own and then there's things like I'm gonna create something just to remind myself of what is within my control and what can I move towards in terms of being superhuman to be able to help people with their magic. I don't want to help people with mental illness. I want to bring about this totally different dimension in the human mind. This other category. It's a category beyond categorization. And I haven't been in touch with it for a long time. Except for the scary aspects of it. And I want to re-invite it into my life. But I feel like I need to be prepared to live that energy. Live with that energy. Live as it. I sit here and I really don't know how I feel. ECPR was all about connecting with and talking about feelings and I say I feel a lot but generally I don't share feelings partly because a lot of them are suppressed by the medications last night I definitely felt something I went to sleep without taking the half of Seroquel and at some point during the process of falling asleep my heart did that thing where it sped up and was beating really fast and strong and I was terrified and this time it actually didn't wake me up right away and I remember just laying there with this intense fear of death like I don't want to die one day or I don't want to die right now it actually seemed different the last time last time a few weeks ago it felt like that sensation of panic where I thought I was gonna kill myself like I have to kill myself but I don't want to and this time it was different it was a different experience of that death terror it really felt like I really don't want to die one day yet at the same time I fear that when I do die it'll be by my own hand so it's kind of paradoxical that I would have that intense not wanting to die one day yet fearing dying by my own hand it's quite something I don't know what it is but so when I did wake up after probably like 20 seconds I took the half a Seroquel last time it was different it woke me up immediately because I jumped up feeling like I might actually do something to end my life but it's always about getting to my safety plan before I do that before I feel I need to do that and I always do so once I got my zap strap and once I took the Seroquel, I felt fine. Not fine, but I went to sleep. 
So this time it was a different flavor of death. And I have to remind myself that it could just be psychological death. And when part of my psyche dies, it creates a bodily reaction, just like if I think of something scary, my body's going to react, even if I'm sitting right here. And we're doing that to ourselves all the time. We're thinking things and our body is reacting. So it makes sense that if the psyche is dying, there's a bodily reaction. And if I wasn't here in California, I might actually see what that turns into without taking the Seroquel. And I talked about getting Benadryl and I didn't get Benadryl, so today I did because of that reaction to it. And I talked to the people at Hardy Nutritionals and they said it's better to go off it by going down to a quarter and then going down to an eighth. So I feel tired and I feel out of shape and I feel like I'm not eating healthy. When I got here, I was at least eating okay-ish and under eating a bit and I was slender, which I prefer that, especially when I'm taking medication so my body can deal with all the toxins of the medication. And I feel a little bit like going home. And then I realized that I wouldn't be able to sit outside. I wouldn't have access to this expanse of nature. Doesn't mean that I won't go home. It's just I'm a bit conflicted. And I'm not really feeling that great mentally. So I'm getting through the days, but not in the greatest fashion. I'm kind of blurred out and the days are a blur and I've talked recently about things like super humanness and it's like I'm wanting to talk myself into those possibilities yet at the same time aside from being in the psych ward I'm not in the greatest place right now. And it almost seems like when I go to those far-off possibilities, by speaking about them, it feels like I crash even more after that. So it's difficult to know what to do. I feel like I need to focus on doing nothing and getting healthy and I keep talking about this but I just ate a bunch of chips with some kind of dip. I just feel so lazy when it comes to that stuff.
so I'm supposed to go down on my medication one eighth at a time for the next eight weeks. So right now is me not doing the greatest, but not doing terrible either. I wonder if I'll stay here for the eight weeks and do that process at the same time or what will happen. Anything could really happen right now. I could end up going home tomorrow or I could end up staying till mid-August. I miss my family, I miss my community of people. It's beautiful here, but it's also beautiful just to have a community of people that one cares about. I really care about my community. Here there's a community of beauty and there's a few people around, but but not a lot. And I've talked about before how I do best when I'm around people. So here I have sun, I have nature, I have wildlife and insects. Tried to save one of your brothers earlier from the road, but they just kept walking. very determined to walk across the path and now I sit down and there's one of you on me Right now there's four butterflies doing a dance. And that's beautiful. And the other thing about the death thing, Krishnamurti talks a lot about death. And I feel like I could just go through it somehow. So cute, where they go. What I'm thinking of is that we all die at some point. Yet we're so worried about this life when we're living it. Yet we're all going to die, so it doesn't really matter. And I'm not saying that in the sense of do nothing or it doesn't matter, so just be mean. It's more...
just the fact of it all and and I've also been thinking about reward and punishment and when I was thinking about how we've all been forced into mediocrity I'm not sure why I would care if people have something negative to say about what I'm sharing when most people just have mediocre minds and I'm not saying that I don't and I do too but why would I care what a mediocre mind who can't really grasp this has to say about it why am I not more concerned about if it might be helpful to somebody why am I so afraid and there's people out there that are courageous that will just share and say what they want to say and share their message and and if somebody says something about it they just aren't concerned and even if somebody does say something they forget about it the next day they go on with their lives so in a way the people that might benefit will put more energy towards it than the people that would not I guess it's partly because what I have to say sounds like it's against psychiatry and part of it is it's against the way it's delivered. Yet at the same time I feel like I still utilize psychiatry stuff and maybe I will have to in the future. So I guess it's difficult because I want to be strong and have transcended it yet I'm in this place where I feel on the tipping point of being in some major distress. Another thing I've been thinking about a little bit is that if I feel like I'm in distress or I'm afraid of death or whatever it is, it's it's a common human experience. It's not just me. It's not mine. Maybe I'm feeling that and experiencing that, but it's not mine. It's It's from somewhere. It's just part of the collective and part of mine as well to feel like I'm struggling. Well, we are struggling. We're all struggling. I guess I just hope in eight weeks I'll have come off some of this medication and I'll feel better. It's probably better to do it here, otherwise I'll be just sitting at home in somebody's basement. Maybe it would be beneficial if I just spent all my time sitting outside doing nothing. Because it's something that I wouldn't be able to do if I was back home. And at this point, I don't know if I'm going to go see Celine Dion. I have this rental car for 
four or five more days and that's what happens. I have these plans but then a lot of times it just becomes a waste because I'm not even feeling like I can utilize it. sucks to not be able to trust that one can just do what one wants to do when one plans to do it. But that little butterfly over there is so cute. He looks like he has this little fluffy body and he's flapping his wings up and down like measuring the wind or something and waiting for his friends to come along so he can join their dance. See, now I'm off self-dialogue, yet I feel like I'm doing worse than when I was on that and talking on and feeling some kind of urge to do so. And then I forget. So yeah, death, reward and punishment. And I wrote a bit of my story for Katie Motram's Emerging Proud campaign for the blog and I think I'm gonna give word for her to go ahead and publish it. I wanted her to wait until after I got to ECPR even though I'm feeling kind of low and not clean, I almost feel like I don't care anymore, but I do care, but it's, I'm not, I'm tired of caring about worrying. my family will see the story and I, they might worry or I don't know I just I don't know And then I was reading a talk by Krishnamurti and he was talking about how 
we always wait for this pressure before we do anything. And I was thinking a bit about map consciousness, how when we're in it, we have this pressure of the universe making us act. And then when we're not in that anymore, it reminds me a bit of harvest practice and body. Can we do those things without the pressure being applied? And then yet it seems like this other pressure is happening for me where it's something building up and then leading to this thing happening at night where it feels like dying and being afraid of that. Maybe it'll just pass. Maybe I can just let it pass. Why do I have to be afraid of that? And what's causing that pressure to build up is being in California and just sort of doing whatever, causing a different kind of pressure to build up. Maybe the butterflies know. Maybe I could just ask, what's the cause of this pressure, butterfly? He left. His friends flew by and he left. He's back. I have no idea if I caught that on camera, but if I do go back, I think I'm going to buy a stand-up paddleboard and just spend time on the water, but it's not water season there yet. So maybe I'll last here a day, maybe I'll last here another month, maybe two, maybe three. Somehow I need to take an interest in this body. I think I'm going to quit drinking coffee to start. Maybe I'll just sit out here and start doing some of that self-dialogue. At least it's something even if it's just for my own entertainment. I'm not doing anything altruistic right now. Maybe releasing this blog article will be good. Start some conversation. Dr. Fisher was talking about how relationships heal. Yet here, I have a couple relationships, but they're new and it's not like home. So I came down here and it's beautiful and it's so many things, but I don't have my relationships, which are the strongest and most important thing.
At least I'm learning. Relationships are important. So tonight I really hope that I sleep better with that Benadryl and I'll take a quarter of a Seroquel and the Trazodone and see what happens. Maybe it's good that some of this is coming out, but just little by little. I think I just want my energy back. Life is more challenging when one doesn't have energy. go for a skate. Got my wrist guards in the mail. So this is the first time I'm rollerblading in California. Actually I did a tiny skate once for just a few seconds really and I didn't feel steady. I haven't skated on these skates in quite a while. So we'll see what happens. So this could be the beginning of a new healthy something to do. I drove the car here. Usually this is a little far, but we'll see how it goes. Downhill first, uh-oh. Uphill's gonna be tough. First time you're on a new path, you have to be extra careful because you don't know if there's some tree roots or some spots that are just suitable for bikes and not rollerblades. Feels good to be out doing something I wouldn't be able to do if I was at home. Last night I I slept better. So Celine Dion is again on the table.
So as I was saying, I did sleep better last night, but I still have just felt kind of blah. I just don't feel like my best self. And there's a nice hill beside me and I'm not sure if I want to go down it because then that means I have to go back up. It's hill time.
so beautiful. Here is an attempt to be healthy, and there is a lizard. This is zucchini pasta with Trader Joe's yellow curry sauce. Super lazy, super yummy. I got some juice. Juice place. And I got my bike helmet. This one was the most cozy. And I was thinking about my video earlier today and how I just look kind of bloated and over medicated and I really noticed that watching myself and and it seems like this side of my face is more paralyzed than usual. So maybe I really am experiencing this over-medicated thing that the hardy nutritionals people were talking about. I think I need to be a little bit easier on myself and how I feel. But at the same time, it's difficult because I'm in this beautiful place and I want to feel awesome and make the most of it. But I'm finding I'm just sort of getting through it and I'm still feeling like I'm making a lot out of it but I don't know I don't know what I want I'm not sure what it is exactly but perhaps this is good because even I will see for myself if there's some kind of transformation from all of this because before it was just kind of like blah 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 and going on and on and then I had that crisis, and then I came to California, then I had another mini crisis, and then I've been taking that extra medication, and now I'm trying to come off medication, so it's just, I want to feel good already. It's been a long year since I was hospitalized, and it's a journey towards not being afraid of myself, 
can see maybe four houses in the distance and that's about it.
So it's interesting how possible intentions to drive to Vegas and see Celine Dion. And then today I was going to go to a different town and rollerblade, turn into just going to buy a helmet and doing laundry. So from Celine Dion and rollerblading or just Celine Dion it would have been and then just rollerblading at least close to laundry and I'd like to take the perspective of what the hardy nutritionals people are telling me that I'll start to feel over medicated while taking their vitamins and my medications, but I still have to taper off the medication slowly. I think part of it too, though, is just being away from my family and my community for two months. I probably have only had a couple of hugs since I've been here. Maybe a handful when usually I would get quite a number per week. So I'm definitely deficient in the hug department. I'm suffering from hug deficiency disorder. And just not being around all the people I care about most and the people that care about me. So I think these next eight weeks will be really telling What am I going to do to get through it? I'll have my laundry done, so that's something. And today was the first day I didn't eat cinnamon toast. That really good bread from Trader Joe's. I think I've turned into a piece of cinnamon toast. So today I had muesli but no cinnamon toast. And I did make two cups of bulletproof coffee, which was just grass-fed butter and coffee. And I had some cashews and an apple and another apple. And for dinner, I made some eggs and I haven't made eggs in two months or longer. I just feel like it'd be good to cut down on the sugar for a while. These little flies like to land on my head. I felt really bad because I was watching a video the other night and this little fly kept flying in my face and I kept chewing it and kept chewing it and kept chewing it for like an hour. Finally I saw it landed on my jacket and I decided to flick it and I realized after I did that, there's no way it survived. Like, it was this tiny little fly. And I felt bad, because I, I think I killed it, and I didn't want to kill it, but I just didn't equate that flicking it was going to kill it. And then right after, I'm like, there's no way that it lived. So now I'll just risk breathing them in and or eating them. I think that's a mosquito, though. Yeah, it is.
and today I sat outside for a bit and then I was just laying in my room and reading the book on our own on my Kindle app and I saw the cutest little bumblebee it was like a baby bumblebee And I saw some lizards and Okay. Looks like you're missing some toes. In the tip of your tail is growing back. See? Yeah, I know you're alive and you know I'm alive too. What? You give me the whole territorial lizard thing. It's going to be really hot out this week, so I will maybe go on some walks. Just try and take care of the basics. I feel like Maslow's hierarchy of needs comes into play. There's almost like bipolar hierarchy of needs, and, and when one is in certain states, it's important to just get back to the basics. I definitely feel over-medicated and I just hope in eight weeks that I feel good 
I have energy, I look better. I think I've really noticed even more how drugged up I look. And it'll be my birthday in two days. And two days after that, it will be 10 months of self-dialogue. I was doing a little bit of self-dialogue before, but I really started doing it on June 20th of last year. And when I really look at it, I'm not that much further ahead, but I think that's part of the process. And maybe I'll try to do a bit of self-dialogue. I think I've said that a couple times, but I think if my brain is turned off, it doesn't feel good either. So maybe the self-dialogue process, even if anything else, it's good to keep the brain exercised, because otherwise it seems like the brain gets kind of numb. So maybe I'll grab my notebook and see if there's anything I want to talk about today. So I'm going to talk about a couple of these things, even though I don't really feel the energy of it. And this would be more an experiment in seeing if going back into it will help to fire up my brain. If reading and talking about some of the stuff that I wrote in a higher state might actually allow my brain to go back into that state. Because I've found often when I go to the edge of insight and beauty, there's often a retraction at some point. It seems to be part of the process, taking two steps forward and then taking a step back. I think I already talked about how in my old writing from Mania six years ago, I wrote a note saying that language is alive and always there. And I think that's a clue into this language of beauty or this other language. And part of that language is actually the art of creating new language and making new meaning and new language. I was talking a lot about language and beauty and things like that. And I think I also wrote, each moment is either new beauty or old thought. And that other language that's always there is sort of the language of life speaking to us. And when life speaks to us, it shows us how beautiful life is. And can we speak as this voice of life, sharing how beautiful life is? Right now, I definitely don't feel that, but I also have a sense that there's something painting over this beauty of life. I feel like when perception changes to the peripheral vision as well as the focal vision. That helps us select for beauty.
It's a natural selection of perception for picking out beauty in the visual field and responding and giving our attention and awareness to that instead of the focal point that thought is making us see or not really see at all. And I feel like the sound of thought is dangerous and that we really see this in psychosis. We see how dangerous those old sounds are and those old soundscapes. Usually, if we're lucky, we're caught in a soundscape called normal, which is the one we're most comfortable with. But we can get caught in other soundscapes because none of the soundscapes are really real and really have anything to do with anything. We have a soundscape that we call I, and when we get connected to a different soundscape, we feel scared and we wonder what's going on. When we could be equally as frightened of our own soundscape that we call I, because there's no I there, it's just this momentum of thought and thinking that makes us feel like there's some I there. But the I that's there is actually blocking our real eyes. It's blocking perception. And I wrote down that love is faster than the speed of light. And I feel this could be true because that's how miracles happen. Miracles happen faster than the speed of light. And what's the language of love? Love is that other dimension that most of us don't know anything about. We've never touched it or never has it touched us. And I was reading David Bohm's book, Wholeness and the Implicate Order. And one of the most profound things that I read so far is that he said, nature will respond in accordance with the theory in which it's approached. It's worth repeating, nature will respond in accordance with the theory with which it's approached. And that has everything to do with what I've been talking to myself about, about all this other context. How I approach the world, which seems to be one that is omnipolar, it's all over the place. It won't stay consistent and my body and mind and emotions and all that won't respond consistently to it. Because as an omnipolar consciousness, it doesn't have that ego root to keep some kind of consistent feeling of reality. So in a way, it really needs to be approached not knowing. And that's part of this context creation is that none of it's true. It's just wondering moment to moment and writing down the things that come to mind in that moment. But the next moment they might be false or have no relevance. So, but that's the approach. The approach is I have no idea what will arise in consciousness or what insights will come to mind. 
And so in a way it's sharing that approach, the self-dialogue is the way to capture that. But it's still not actually the approach to life. Because the approach to life is the living and then I'm capturing the things during the day while I'm living. So it's not even that process. It's not the harvesting of the insight process. It's self-dialogue after the fact. So in a way, I'm seeing that if my brain does go back to that on state, that neuroplastic state again, then it could be cool to capture them on video in the moment. Because that would actually really show more so this process of learning by living. But part of it is captured in the moment because a lot of it I make up on the go. So again, it's not about the content, it's more about the approach. So in a way, there's this bipolar approach to life or this omnipolar approach to life or this map consciousness. And I wrote down, can we map this consciousness together and that's really an approach of having insights and 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 speaking those insights or sharing those insights in the moment not sharing the me but sharing insights from the living moment from our relationship to reality so usually we approach life with the ego and so life responds egoically and then that keeps creating this mess of egoic responses. Again, we're not speaking as the moment. And that's sort of what this omnipolar thing is. And I'm liking the word omnipolar right now because it's not bipolar. It's not just good, bad, up, down, happy, sad. It's, it's really a richness of the moment. It couldn't be anything when we call it good or bad, then it seems like it's bipolar, but if we can be with the newness of something. I feel like I breathed in a bug, I don't know. <laughs> um, then it can be anything. I'm gonna go get a drink. So I only spent about 10 minutes doing the self-dialogue that I was doing previously, but kind of stopped because I felt I was doing too much. And I'm already feeling kind of better. It's interesting, I feel like it might be important for me to continue self-dialogue because it's a way of relating that doesn't really exist in reality as it is now. We don't relate based on the moment. We don't speak about beauty and nature and and our consciousness and that process itself so if I don't talk to myself about that then it's sort of negating a large area of my brain and consciousness so it was kind of experimental to stop doing the self-dialogue I felt like maybe I was wasting 
my time in California, but by not doing the self-dialogue, I'm still wasting my time in California because it seems to be kind of worse. So I can't remember when I was talking about stopping the self-dialogue and just sharing kind of what's happening with coming off these meds and stuff, but at the same time, if I just share coming off meds, I'm speaking as me and speaking as ego, and I'm not speaking as this other voice and language that wants to be given voice to or or take root in a brain, even if it's just one brain. And there could be many out there with that seed happening in their brain, but it sort of needs to be sustained in terms of a new way of approaching life, maybe even a new way of approaching being a human being, really talking with oneself and really wondering and questioning with oneself. And not just as the ego, but as this something beyond that we all have access to. It's not special. It's actually quite accessible. But we spend so much time on this me thing that we don't have access to it. And the me is so meaningless. And we spend all this time trying to make meaning out of it. And we can't because it's not going to happen. There's The meaning only exists in something greater beyond the me. And perhaps that's part of the process too, is meaning making. I'm seeing some of the benefits that I talked about along the way that I'd never really stopped the process, so I didn't really know if it was valuable, and I still don't know for sure because it's only been a few minutes of amping it up, but it feels like it's nutrition for my brain, and if there were other people to talk to about this stuff, not even this stuff, just speak as the moment, then, or speak as insight or perceptions or whatever, then the brain would have that kind of nutrition. I feel like insight is a type of nutrition, insight that that comes from perception. Which is something beyond right and wrong because if it was within that limited framework, it would have to be found out from a book. But we can access this information just with our eyes and our being and being clear. So I feel like I will again put energy into self-dialogue because there seems to be value in doing it just talking about stuff and I really haven't written down any insights in in days so if I'm not talking to myself I'm not really engaged my brain isn't engaged and it feels like it's shrinking
So it'll be interesting to see if I start to write down some insights again. And I was sitting here earlier and that blue bird that's around, I swear I saw him trying to fly at the window and kind of missed and then I looked and I saw his wings flapping below the window. I don't think he just wants food. I think he wants love. I think this bird is so smart. And I really feel there are neurons and genes for new language. So as new language is created, new genes are created which are creating new neurons. And there could be neurons that exist just for new language, almost like an immune cell, how one immune cell can actually then specialize into that type of immune cell for that special antigen. But before that, it's sort of undifferentiated. I feel like there could be undifferentiated nerve cells that when they sort of start to get the vibe of this new language of insight, they start to specialize and, and almost create these new language brain cells and, and create a new area of the brain. And it's beauty. Something to do with oxytocin and we're dopamine dominant now as we become oxytocin dominant. It changes the brain. We actually become a new species. Just like Dr. Bruce Lipton says, there's genetic engineering genes which create new genes in the genome by need. Well, if we need new brain cells for something and we start speaking the language of that something, it's going to create the genetics for that. Oh, as soon as I said that, I just... I just had this sense that that's sort of what's happening in the autistic brain. Their brains are adapted for something else. They're fulfilling a need of some sort. A need to not have language used against us, maybe. So new language or new modes of language can produce new genes. Our brain needed new genes to create the bigger size brain to be able to think abstractly and, and utilize language. So that process can continue. New genes can be created. And right now our brain is being used with language viruses. And what if we were using language as actual creative processes. And the virus stage could actually be part of the creative stage. Now we just need to use language in a different mode. We have all this language, we're just using it incorrectly. It's using us. And it seems like I'm using language to say language is using us. And that's part of this dialogue process. Just say it, say, language uses me. Language creates the me. 
It's not even, there's no me there. Language, how it goes on autopilot in circles, creates the illusion of a me. Right now the way we use language is of the me and it creates a me. Now if we used it differently to create a we or a humanity or a unity or a oneness or beauty, why can't we use it to create that or to speak to that? It's already there. Right now we think there's billions of me's but there's all this beauty and we're not speaking to it. We don't even see it because we only see the me. Seems like my brain has gone all serious already with it too. Maybe that's part of the reason why I stopped. I didn't want to be serious but... And I wrote something down about the quantum world exists. And right now it's in the scientific phase, but then they don't really know how to apply it. And it's sort of like how when they first theorized about aviation, the theories and the calculations about aviation were not the same as an airplane actually flying through the air. So I feel like they're finding this science and a person who's omnipolar is the equivalent of the airplane flying through the air. So what is the function of the omnipolar brain? Aviation calculations were to put an airplane in the air. Quantum calculations? Something with the bipolar, omnipolar brain. And I feel like they talk about how it's about possibility, and really love makes everything possible. Love makes all of this possible. So it could be that that brain state is an action of love. I don't know. To be continued. A day in the sun is not a day wasted. Last night I took an eighth reduction of all my medications again. So I took a quarter of a Seroquel, which is actually a quarter reduction, but it's really hard to put those into eighths. And I took one eighth off my tablet of Trazodone and I split a 150 cap of lithium into two capsules. So it's not exactly perfect, but it's good enough. So I took about 525 milligrams of lithium. I took a 300 cap, a 150 cap, and then half of a 150 cap. So I've been doing that the last two days and 
that's how Hardy Nutritional suggested that I do it, was reduce everything evenly. So with that strategy, it'll take about eight weeks to come off everything if it goes smoothly. So that's my focus for the next eight weeks. And another focus is that I feel really tired and lethargic and not eating healthy. So I had the idea to tomorrow put grass-fed butter in my coffee to at least make it a healthy bulletproof like coffee and give me some healthy fats whoa that's an insane helicopter never heard one sound like that before Never heard one like that before. So quiet, sunshine, earthing, my feet are on the ground. These are the things that help the circulation and I didn't go to Celine Dion. I woke up at 9.30 and I felt really tired, probably from rollerblading yesterday, and I just felt like I could go, but at the same time, I was tired and not showered, and so I can always go another time. The main thing that it came down to was that if I went, I wasn't feeling super energetic, so it just wouldn't be as enjoyable and the hotel would have been at least a hundred bucks American and the ticket would have been um, 150 to 200 for decent seats and so I thought I'd rather go when I am feeling a little bit more energetic so hopefully in the next two months I can work on that a little bit more So I might go to Walmart tonight, which is about a 40 minute drive, and get a helmet. Because yesterday I just felt a little exposed without a helmet on, and I've never worn one, but maybe it would be good to wear one. Well, of course it is. That way maybe I can not be as worried, I can be less worried wearing a helmet and maybe push myself a little bit more 
Not that I really push myself, I don't, I'm quite careful, but maybe if I was wearing a helmet, I would. It was interesting, I didn't really see too many people along that path, it was about 25 kilometers, and the few that I did see, there was a group of two girls that sort of hooted and hollered at me, and there was another person who did the same, and another person stopped and like said, oh, you're doing so good, and, and I wasn't doing it for that, but today I kind of realized that's sort of like feedback from the universe, that when people see me rollerblading, they feel the urge to comment or compliment or whatever, and I don't need that, but I'm just saying it's like the universe giving me a like in reality, saying, do more of this. And that's another reason I want to get the helmet, so I can skate from where I am. Whereas yesterday I parked somewhere and then went right on the path. So if I'm going to be on a road, it's good to have a helmet. I always wear wrist guards, but that's it. And I have done two Superman dives with the wrist guards. And they were very helpful. Somebody stopped beside me and said, you were doing 15 along that corner, have you ever bailed or something? And I said, never done this trail. So I didn't really answer their question, but I didn't see if there was a speed limit or I'm not, I don't have a speedometer on me. For some reason I find the flies really cute how they clean their face. I don't know why. They've been kind of landing on my knee and a couple of them at a time and then they all take off at the same time and and they're just playing. Even flies play. I've had this sense that they were practicing being fast for those times when they have to be fast and fly away really quick in order to live. I have no idea if that's true, but just being here with them. Made me think that. I wonder how long they live. If they even live long enough to utilize that skill, or if by doing that they actually enhance the speed of the collective consciousness of the flies. So as long as some flies are practicing that, all of the flies are getting the benefit. And I was looking through some old writing that I did when I was starting to investigate these alternative ways of thinking about mania and psychosis. I think I started reading about alternative stuff in early 2015. It might have been 2014, but I don't know. I think I started reading about all this stuff in early 2014. And when I first came across books like The Spiritual Gift of Madness and Rethinking Madness, the first by Seth Farber and the second by Paris Williams, 
I actually went to a bookstore that has a lot of spiritual books and those two books were both on the sale shelf, which is the only shelf I looked at probably because I... Look, there's four of them. Two of them did. Oh, they took off, but nobody went with them. Anyway, I think it was 2014 because then I got the help of my psychiatrist to help me taper off meds in late 2014 and then. In 2015, I went to the Revisioning Madness Conference at Esalen, and in 2016, I went to Emma Bragdon's Spiritual Emergence Coach Training, and and it, to me, it was interesting how, as soon as I read those two books spiritual gift of madness and rethinking madness they just pretty much 100% resonated with how I already thought and felt it's just somebody had happened to write a book about them which is kind of nice that means I don't have to write that book because those types of books are already out there and they're very well done and I don't even think my brain would be able to do that I don't even know why I started talking about that. I think there was some kind of point to it, but... What? Pop. Maybe I could be roller bipolar or something. I'm just sort of wondering, oh yeah, I was talking about that stuff. I started writing stuff while I was investigating those books. And so I have a book. Well, it could be a book. And I was reading over some of it from where I left off and my thinking was just so different back then. What I had, it seemed like so many levels removed from where my brain is at now. And I guess that's part of it. So I think there's still some value in it. So I might try to go through it and edit it again. and keep on working on self-dialogue as well plus tapering off these medications and somehow getting my energy back which is mostly my fault for just eating crap I think before I was at least under eating which is good for energy levels
I'm struggling with things like showering. I'm just sort of too lazy to do that, which is pretty gross. I think I get in the shower every three days, which I would like to more. But I wake up late and then the day just flies by. I'm in this space where time goes by quick. It's almost like the whole day is ahead of me, yet I feel like, oh, there's nothing to do. I have no energy, nothing can really get done, I don't have time, it's just, it's, I guess that sense is from those lower states. And so being outside in the sun is something easy to do, just sit here. And I remember before I would sit in the sun all day and that was a day well spent. definitely want to do more going to the river and rollerblading and maybe getting into some self-dialogue insights. I haven't really written down any insights. My brain has gone out of that mode, which I think is good because then I would just be accumulating more and more stuff. So I so I'm going to put on my website peer potential life coaching and just see what happens because I want to start the peer potential project but I feel like it's important to do things that I can just do that don't really require permission from others mostly So we'll see how this next month goes Having a good tan is a good thing, for sure. It'd be cool to create a 1-800 number for special messages and visions for people to share their positive stuff. It's important to remember the positive visions for those more difficult times. And this morning I had an insight into that scary heartbeat I've had while trying to fall asleep. I realized that the first time I felt that sensation of being so terrified of death like that, I don't know how old I was, but anywhere from four to six maybe and I must have been trying to fall asleep but all of a sudden I woke up and jumped out of my bed in the worst terror ever realizing that one day I'm gonna die and I don't want to and I was just a tiny kid and I ran out into the living room and my mom was there and I was crying and I hugged her and she put me on her lap and was kind of rocking me and going shh and she didn't ask what was wrong and I never said anything I was just a kid I was just scared
And I remember feeling so comforted. And then I sort of drifted off. But I think that was just the first time I realized what, what death is. And it's the exact same feeling. Especially the most recent one that I had the other day, the other night. It was the exact same terror. And I feel like I watched a Krishnamurti video yesterday and it was the last talk of the Transformation of Man series where he's speaking with Dr. David Bohm and Dr. Shaneberg. And in the last video he talks about how when we die, if we haven't ended our image of ourself, then bits of that go on, spread throughout humanity. And that's exactly what I've had the sense of. And I might have talked about that in, in one way or another. But I feel like that first time when I felt that as a child, it was the day I was born as an ego. Because the ego's the thing that's afraid of death. But it's when that fragment from humanity and bits conglomerated to sort of coalesce as my so-called ego. And in that moment, I was afraid to die one day. The ego is afraid to die. And I think because I watched that video last night, I had that insight into that this morning sometime. And how it relates too is that it's part of what I'm talking about and others have talked about this too. It's from experience where what really is going to die is the ego and it can die and parts of it can die throughout life and it feels like death because that's the part that's afraid to die so the fear is the fear of the loss of the self the ego self, the accumulations and, and the me and and so it feels even more like part of that is trying to die which feels the same as the first time it came into being in my being when I was a child. It's the same fear, whether it's just coming into me or it's actually trying to leave me. It's the same thing. And just like when I was a kid and I had that realization and I was terrified, there was a bodily reaction. My heart was pounding. I, I jumped out of bed and that's exactly what happens now. But I just think it's the actual trying to end that. Or it could even be that more of that is coming back in to me because I'm not completely finished with it or immune to it. And part of me feels like perhaps I need it because otherwise I would just go walking off into oblivion and who knows what would happen then. That would make some good self-dialogue video, but it wouldn't make my family happy or people who care about me.
and part of me would like to design my life in a way to to just go like that and see what happens and that requires some money I would like to be able to do that and and eat healthy food even now I'm so lazy I'd like to just be able to go and get a really good healthy meal I'd rather go get it from somebody else making it and maybe that's part of the social thing is that if I do go the healthy route again most people do their healthy thing but they're alone in that process whereas if I was being healthy but supporting other people creating things to be able to make it available for people to be healthy well that's actually supporting the whole and not just myself so maybe that's part of the resistance to being healthy and just creating my own personal little health routine so it'd be nice to spend 50 bucks a day or whatever on food and it doesn't matter or even 60 or however it costs to have three meals out and about in the community versus being at home making it I don't know if that's part of it or not I'm wondering if I release this book and even if it makes a little bit of money and hopefully helps people it could be a precursor to the self dialogue videos Another thing is, for some reason, people keep sending me uh, credit, and I always say yes. So I have quite a bit of money in credit, and I could just decide to just do the process anyway, and I at least have access to money. I don't have the money, but maybe in that process, something else would come into being that would allow for the process to continue, plus that money to be paid off I have no idea and I'm only sharing this because to me these are real concerns or obstacles in a way to people who have this propensity towards map consciousness that might propel one to just go and the trouble with just go is it's not part of the functioning of society but can a lifestyle be created that is part functional and I even thought that it'd be interesting if people who have this omnipolar bipolar consciousness could be in business in their life each moment so usually we're creative in some way a friend of mine showed me this app called WeChat where you can have a store on there and people can buy your stuff. Well, if you're just walking around in daily life and you're having conversations and then if there's an app that integrates selling what you have to sell or sharing what you have to share or being able to collaborate but out in life instead of the way society's been designed, like work nine to five, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at these times, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, it's just something has to integrate. And I just want to share these things because 
I think as a bipolar consciousness, these are some of the things that I wonder about. It's about the design of the whole and how through our actions and how we live our lives, it could redesign the whole. Just, yeah, just by the way we live our lives. And I think that's what map consciousness is trying to do when it attempts to make us act differently. Well, it does make us act differently. And then after it's over, we have free will to, to try to get with that. And I talked about how Krishnamurti talks about how we don't do anything unless we're under pressure. Well, map consciousness gives us that pressure, and then when the pressure's over, are we going to still do something? Or are we just going to live in fear? And the prevailing system is wanting us to live in fear. And they make it into a personal medical problem, but I think it's a problem of living. It's an actual problem of the way we're living and how our lives are so meaningless. So can one live a life of meaning and, and what is the structure of that? And, and how do we create that structure by just living it, not by pre-planning the structure? So I do kind of look forward to the day when I eventually put stuff out there and get some feedback because it's one thing to create context around meaning making and all the things I've talked about that I don't remember and after all of that I'm sitting here in a beautiful place but still not quite feeling it so there's more to be done there's more to explore I'm doing this coming off meds thing but then there's also this lifestyle design thing. I feel like I want a camper van and to be able to drive around and, and rollerblade. And if I was able to do that as part of lifestyle design for a while, then that might be somewhat inspiring. Can one inspire another who's gone through all this to live a different way? that might actually be more in alignment with our nervous system such that the supposed symptoms and problems fall away when we're living in this other way and I don't know if that's true but many of these things I've had a sense of when in those states so how does one make those things traits how does one make designing one's lifestyle a trait and doing it day by day, moment to moment. Earlier today, I saw these lizards fighting. They're those weird snake lizards. They have feet, but they look like snakes. And so I'll share the video, because I guess this can be beautiful too.
Well, I wanted to make this quick video to show that after doing 20 minutes of self-dialogue, even though I haven't done it in a couple weeks, in terms of referring to my notes, I wrote this. this, and this so far in editing that bit of video. So it seems like this process does turn on this other type of learning process. Learning through having insight, and one can have insights through one's insights. And I think this is actually the part that activates this other area of the brain. It's the dialogical area of the brain. Dialogical sector of the brain. And insight is light nutrition from perception. From seeing into something. it seems it really is a hyper-learning state. And when it first gets turned on, we're learning all these things, but then it comes to a point where we're learning these things about the me. But the me is an illusion, a scary illusion, so it can be scary. But this hyper-learning state it's learning about consciousness and the capabilities and capacities of consciousness, not just this limited me structure. That's part of it. And there's this element of getting to the place of seeing beyond that. Doesn't mean that nothing scary ever comes into play, but one doesn't have to be afraid of this hyper-learning process that can be called mania. but it can go into that more, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to get at is that there is no me there. The ego is an illusion, but when we first get in contact with this hyper-learning, there's learning about this ego illusion. But then when we get past that, then we're able to learn and prune our brains in a more intelligent way. So there's an intelligence that sort of purges a lot of that from our system. It seems like this could be one of the reasons why I haven't really gone into a mania is because I've been in this hyper-learning state, which could go into a mania if I sort of decided to cling on to something and go with it. There's that importance of dropping the thing which one learned and not really believing it.
not turning what we learn into a belief because if we do that then we're back in the whole level of the ego that believes things we don't need to believe things when we're always learning as soon as we believe something it blocks the learning and it turns the process into there's this I there there's this me there that believes something And interestingly enough, even in just doing this few minutes of self-dialogue and, and a few minutes of editing, I think my face looks different. And I talked about that before, how I look different in a scary way a couple weeks ago. And in my last video, I felt like I look kind of just bloated and my face was having trouble speaking words. but just these few minutes of getting back into the dialogue process I feel like my face can move again I feel a little bit more connected to something and it makes sense it makes this makes total sense to me right now I feel like the dialogue process that we have innate in our brain is part of beauty because we're meant to communicate in a dialogical way, not in this egoic and divisive way. And I feel this, I feel this is very transformative actually. Can't really put my feeling on camera, but I'm not sure if one can notice this video I'm making like half an hour after editing the last one. I think I look different, my face feels different. So that brain state doesn't necessarily disappear, it doesn't disintegrate, but if it's not, if it's not in dialogue, then it sort of turns off. But we all have this brain state of dialogue. It's just a different way of communicating. So this is kind of cool that this happened because if I wouldn't have stopped the dialogue process and then thought, hmm, I'm just going to see if I can fire up my brain a little bit by talking about a few things in my notebook. And I just was reading through and I picked a page and I just went with it. And my brain already feels more intelligent. And it could be important to engage the brain in self-dialogue until we get more of a dialogue going with each other and maybe when we get this dialogue going we won't need to talk so much about our symptoms and our problems and I allowed myself to go into that mode I allowed myself to go into the mode of I'm going off my meds and I'm just gonna talk about how I'm doing with that which is related to transcending the system but by doing that in a way I put myself in in a weaker state and I didn't realize that until till now and it could be too that intelligence wants to speak through the brain and when it does it's not me as an ego speaking 
still sounds like me, but it's a different quality. Just a different quality of sound. It's like playing sound through an old ghetto blaster, playing sound through some high quality speakers. Could be the same song, just different quality. Sounds better. And these are all things I've talked about with myself through this process and then it's only now that I really stopped that process and then just gave it a little bit of a jump start that I'm seeing. And this isn't for sure, I'd have to keep going a couple days to see if my brain goes back into that mode. And it was getting a bit annoying to be writing so much down, but... And I think I learned that this process isn't about me. It's a process that wants to happen. And I all of a sudden made my life about me by making it about me coming off my meds and not continuing the dialogue with myself. Like I mentioned before, even David Bohm's book on dialogue said, if there's no one to have dialogue with, have dialogue with yourself. And I'm seeing the importance of that now. It's interesting, I feel way different right now than I did before this video today. And I guess I feel different because it's not the me, it's not that level of energy. And so getting to a different level of energy could just be speaking as something else speaking about and as something else other than the ego self, having a different dialogue. I feel like my face has transformed. And maybe that's why my face really morphed out of how it was, because before I was fine and in this time of not speaking with myself in the dialogue way, I feel like my face just turned into this different face. And that makes sense with what I talked about with the tensions of the ego. There's probably ego tensions in the face as well that disappear as soon as one starts to dialogue from this other level. So yeah, self-dialogue, important important brain nutrient to hear one's own voice speaking as something other than the ego. I think it erases the other. Look at this street, it's magical. I just returned my rental car. Now I'm walking back. It feels good to be out walking. Last night, something else I noticed after finishing self-dialogue for the night was that I felt like I had a lot of energy. I didn't feel tired anymore, whereas I spent part of the day laying in bed reading. It was almost a little 
more difficult to fall asleep because I felt so energetic. So I think there's something to this dialogical aspect of the brain. And it takes me a little while to wake up, so maybe after I get back, I'll do some self-dialogue. It's better than coffee. This is an insight on the go. I feel like the ego is just one channel of all the different TV stations that we can tune into. So we always have that one channel playing, but I was sort of thinking about that in terms of how when I was in that crisis in January, the stuff I was saying, it was like I was tuned into a certain channel and acting out based on that show, like that show that I was on at the time, which actually had nothing to do with the present moment, which is what TV is all about. It's a different story of another place in time. So I tuned into that and I was speaking as that. But there's so many other channels to tune into. The Cheaper Creeper likes jam. That funny little appendage right there. Just little hairs on his little antenna. For listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.